I do want to make just a very few announcements and then we're going to get into the word of the Lord. But again, I want to remind you that we do have your contribution statements ready. Uh, if you would see me after service, we will get those to you. And um, some folks think that uh, contribution statements are like W-2s and that the government requires us to mail them out. That's not the case. Um, we're not required to provide them for you. We, we do that uh, because we do appreciate your contributions. But they are here and available. And if you want them, you need to see me and, and get a copy uh, of that. Uh, also, tonight, following the service, they will be uh, serving. And uh, I've had folks tell me they like to know ahead of time so they can make plans. So I'm just letting you know. And then uh, I want to also mention that we are going to be starting again with our dynamic marriage course. And I'll be saying more about that uh, within the next few weeks. In fact, we'll probably do another PowerPoint presentation again. And um, I want to encourage all of our married couples that have not been through the course or if it's been a while since you took it or if you just got out of it. <laughs> In other words, if you're married, I'm encouraging you. We, we would love to have you be a part of this course. There is a cost. Uh, we don't charge for having the course, but the company that provides the curriculum charges. So all we do is pass on the cost of the curriculum, and that's $160 for the couple. It's $160 for the couple that provides you with all of your books, all of your materials. And there is no other cost associated with the course. As I said, we'll be talking more about it. It is an eight-week course. It'll be starting on Monday nights. The first night of the course will be February the 21st. So we still have a little over a month. We'll be talking to you about it, but I want to give you time to be uh, maybe saving up if you need to, setting some money back. Uh, if there was a way that I could let you come free of charge, I would do it. Uh, but it costs us to provide these materials. And so we just pass that cost straight on to you. We don't make any money on it. We would love to have you be a part of it. Uh, right now we have three outside couples that are not a part of this church that uh, have said that they're going to be in the course. We're thankful for that. Uh, but we do still have room for as many as nine more couples. We can have a maximum of 12 couples in the course, a minimum of six, and we want to encourage you to do it. It's worth $160. I promise you that. Your marriage is worth $160. It ought to be worth more than that. Yes. Amen. And um, you'll spend a lot more than that on a lot of things that won't last you as long as the materials that you will glean from this course. So let me encourage you, encourage you, if you are a married couple, please, please consider taking the course. We would love to have you in that class. If you'd like more information, you can see me after service for that. Praise God. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. It's been a few weeks. Uh, it's been several weeks, it seems like to me. Um, last week, Brother, uh, well, last week was the dedication. The week before that, Brother Bill Daniels was with us. Uh, the week before that, I think, was foot washing and communion. And so it's probably been close to a month since we uh, did our study of the book of Ezekiel. In looking over what we have left, 
Uh, I am going to try. I'm going to try. I don't make promises, but I'm going to try to get far enough today that we can finish this up in one more lesson. And that's covering a lot of territory. Uh, but I think, I think, I think we can do it. And uh, especially you'll see one, one section I'm going to hit very, very briefly. And uh, I'll explain that when we get there. But I'm not promising. It may take us two more weeks. But I'm thinking we can do it today and next week and be finished with Ezekiel. And then move into the wonderful book of Daniel. And won't that be exciting? Uh, well, two of you think it will be, and uh, I think the rest of you really are more like me. You don't know what to expect from the book of Daniel. Uh, well, we can get excited about the first few chapters at least, you know, with, with uh, the Hebrew uh, children in the fiery furnace and, and Daniel in the lion's den and all that. We can get excited about and shout about. It's when we start getting into uh, the images and the stone and the 70 weeks and Hallelujah, praise God, glory to God, thank you, Jesus. It may be time to go back to a basic overview and move on, I don't know. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 1, and beginning with verse number 1, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God in the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Uzziah, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Amen. And so today we pick up with part five of our study of the book of Ezekiel. I will say to our guests this morning that if you're interested in the previous four lessons, you can stop by the sound booth on your way out and uh, let them know and we will provide those CDs to you at no charge. Uh, we do that when we're teaching a series. We want everybody to have uh, the entire lesson to hear it all. It keeps me from having to repeat it week after week uh, to keep everybody abreast of where we are. So feel free to do that. But we will today be picking up part five and um, so why don't we put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us today we need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this service. Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, God, for your goodness. I appreciate your touch. I ask God that you would help me today. Lord Jesus, I need, I need the anointing, the unction of the Holy Ghost today. I pray, oh God, that you would speak to hearts in this service. Pray, God, that you would have your way. God, that you would change lives. Save souls as a result of our time here today. Oh, Lord God, I'm asking you that you would do a work in this place. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, our hearts, our minds, God, that we can receive what you say to us. Thank you for it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord, everybody. Let's worship him. Let's praise him together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, we are already uh, running short on time. And so please, please allow me to do just a very, 
very brief review uh, of of uh, the book itself. We have talked to you about the book of Ezekiel uh, in that the fact uh, of the matter is the basic message of this book is the importance of recognizing God's sovereignty, understanding that he is God and therefore he gets to call the shots. That's really a hard thing for us as human beings to comprehend. We say we know it. But we end up making our own determinations. We end up following our own will. We end up devising our own plans. Well, hallelujah. And we often need to be reminded that we're not in charge. The apostle Paul put it this way, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't even belong to yourself. Nothing you have is really yours. It's all God's. Well, hallelujah. And we need to recognize that. We need to understand that. We see that throughout the book. And I'm telling you, if, and, and I hope that you have read the book of Ezekiel or are still reading through the book of Ezekiel. It's one of the things that I've asked. I know uh, every year for many years we ask you to read the Bible through and hand out Bible charts. What I've decided on is uh, so many folks fall by the wayside in that process. I would rather give you a small chunk to devour and ask you to do that and know that you're really reading your Bible. And it helps you when I'm teaching the book if it's fresh on your mind. And so that's what I'm asking that you do. If you have not read the book of Ezekiel, sit down and read it. Uh, if you have started on it, finish it out, stay with us. But if you've read it, one of the things that you're going to notice or have noticed, no doubt, as you read through it is a recurring phrase, something that is said over and over. In fact, some 70 times the phrase appears, they shall know that I am the Lord. This was what God was trying to convey throughout the book of Ezekiel. He wanted them to remember he was God. He was God. He was in charge. And uh, they were going to have to do things his way. And it was the fact that they hadn't done things his way that brought them to the time of captivity they were now facing. Amen. Uh, Ezekiel uh, lived during the lifetime, the lifespan of both Jeremiah and Daniel. And uh, so all three of these men, I pointed out to you how that God had men in various places accomplishing various tasks during the same time period. Jeremiah was still in uh, Jerusalem. He was prophesying to those that had not been carried away. He was finally carried away captive. Uh, we've, we've discussed this, and this is important to today's lesson, but there were actually three sieges upon the city of Jerusalem. The Babylonians came back three different times to overthrow the city of Jerusalem, and each time brought back captives with them. And uh, each of these three men went during a different siege of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, and Jeremiah went in the last one of the three. Daniel went in the first and he was taken to the palace and he served God in the palace. Ezekiel was taken captive in the second and he just served as a prophet among the people. Jeremiah was left there in Jerusalem and served as a prophet to those who remained. Amen. And, and, and uh, if there's anything that I can say in that, let me just tell you, there is something 
to, to be understood by the people of God that, that we need to get this mindset away from us that the grass is greener on the other side. You need to learn to serve God wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Don't say if I had a different job, if I was in a different school, if I had something else. I'm like, no, no, no. You serve God where you are in the circumstances you're facing. God has a job for you to do right where you are. And I promise you, if you'll serve God, if you'll be faithful to God, if he really wants you somewhere else, he'll open that door when the time comes. But God doesn't want you sitting in one place wishing you were somewhere else, saying you'd do better if you were somewhere else. Um, can I just give a side note to our young preachers that are in here right now? This is an important lesson for you as well. Don't say, when I become an evangelist, when I become a pastor, then I'm going to pray, read my Bible. Win souls. You need to be doing those things right now. Well, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying that. I'm sure you'll hear more of that as time progresses. Praise God. Um, but you do need to serve God wherever you are we we've gone over the outline of the book i'm not really going to deal with that again because we are short on time this morning so i'm not really going to deal with the outline of the book i want to just get right into it uh, now when we left off some four weeks ago uh, i did something i don't like to do and, and haven't done much if at all since we started this series two years ago it's hard to believe it's been that long but it's it's been that long, and uh, we've been going through this for quite a while now. Hallelujah. Um, but when we started, I, I don't think that I've ever done this, but I may have, and that is to stop in the middle of a chapter. But that's what we did the last time. We were in chapter 16 of the book of Ezekiel, and we had covered part of that chapter, and uh, I just felt prompted. It was a good place to stop. I felt like that's where God wanted us to stop. He was ready for us to pray. So we stopped there. And we're going to pick up now in the middle, uh, or really towards the end of Ezekiel chapter 16. If you would turn in your Bibles uh, to Ezekiel 16. And uh, we're going to read verses 49 and 50. Ezekiel 16. Now, <clears throat> before we get there and before... Before you put it on the wall, I, I don't want it up there yet. I, I've dealt with this before, and so some of you have heard me say this. But for those that haven't, there's something I want you to think about. In this latter portion of Ezekiel 16, God starts addressing the sins of Sodom. Now, he has a reason for doing it. We'll see that in just a minute. But God starts dealing with the city of Sodom. We know what Sodom was. We know what the besetting sin of Sodom was. In fact, I've said this before, but, but in the English language, uh, many, many years ago, someone coined the phrase sodomy. And they used to call homosexuals sodomites. And they don't do that anymore uh, because it's not politically correct. 
But it is biblically correct. And I'm finding out more and more to be biblically correct is to be politically incorrect. So be that as it may. I may soon become the most politically incorrect person on the face of the earth. I don't know. But I'm going to try to stay biblically correct in all of this. Hallelujah. But what we know, Sodom, we know what happened. We know God sent angels to that city. And the people were so perverse, they tried to defile the very angels of God. Now, these are wicked people. They are wicked, wicked people. And so when God starts recounting the sins of Sodom, what do you suppose he would put as number one on the list? What would you put as number one on the list? I know that if I had not read this portion of scripture, I know exactly what I'd put as number one. Their perversion, their wickedness, their evil nature, their corruption, their homosexuality. That'd be number one on my list. I want you to know this is, what, this is what's wrong with Sodom. But I want you to see how God recounts the sin. Ezekiel chapter 16. Let's start with verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity this, of my sister Sodom. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Now, I don't want to miss the nuance of this. Let me just tell you that first and foremost, this was a slap in Israel's face. To say that Sodom was the sister of Jerusalem. That's a pretty tough statement. How would you like to be called the uh, brother or sister of a sodomite? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty strong statement to make. And God says to the Israelites, this was the problem with your sister. All right. Here's what he says. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Whoa. What did God name us number one? What was it? Before he deals with homosexuality, God addresses their pride? Pride. Fullness of bread. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness. Abundance of idleness. Was in her and in her daughters. Was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen Neither the hand of the poor and needy. The hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty. They were haughty. And committed abomination. And finally at the end of this list he gets down to the fact. And they committed abominations before me. Now, he didn't leave it out. But it wasn't the top of his list. Now, does that say anything to us? D does that speak to your heart at all today? Do you understand that before God addressed the sin of homosexuality, he condemned the sin? Everyone say sin. The sin of pride. Now, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, 
There aren't any homosexuals in the house today. Uh, if you are here, you need to repent or you're going to perish. However, I cannot say that there is no pride in the house. <clears throat> let me tell you, let me tell you, do you want to know what keeps you from coming to an altar? Do you want to know what it is that keeps you from coming and saying, Preacher, I need prayer? Do you know what it is that keeps you from going to a brother or sister saying, Please help me, I'm really struggling right now? Hello? I wish I could make this easier on you, but I can't. This is a fact. God hates pride. What do we have to be proud of? What are we? We're glorified mud balls. That's what we are. God made man from the dust of the earth. You're mud. You're not anything to, to be proud of. And I'm not either. You know, if there's any good that comes of my life, if there is anything that I ever accomplish, it's not because of me. It's because God gave me the ability and God blessed me. But I can't do it on my own. And you can't either. You don't have one thing to be proud of. Now, I know folks don't like for preachers to get up and talk this way. And I know, you know, the, the current, the current uh, theology in the land today is I'm okay, you're okay. We're, everybody's doing fine. Let's just build one another up. In fact, Lord, I'm about to really step on some toes here. I'm going to lose my whole youth group right now, right here, right now. Um, I read an article the other day. Uh, the, the headline caught my attention. It was called, this is the title of the article, Positively Discouraging K-Love. Now, <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it. This was an article I read, all right? But here's what the guy said. He said, when, when I sit down and listen to Caleb, which, you know, is a nationwide deal. I mean, it's everywhere. It's not just Kansas City. It's everywhere. He, he said, here's the problem I've got. There's no theology in the music they play. It's all about, let me lift you up out of your trials. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, God's going to give us strength. God's going to help. And there's a time and place for that. But there are times... That the people of God do struggle. And there are times God wants you to struggle. In fact, there are times, if I dare say it, God makes you struggle. God's not always ending your problems. Sometimes God's sending your problems. It 
It's not all about what a wonderful person you are. You know, the old, old song, uh, we will understand it better by and by. You know, once in a while, we need to be told that. Once in a while, we need to be reminded that everything is not going to be rosy in this life. And there are some things you're just going to have to face. And you're going to have to trust God through this. That he may not make it better down here. Oh, I feel this this morning. I don't know if we're going to get as far as I hoped or not. Because I didn't plan on talking about Caleb this morning. But... <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm going to tell you somehow. We've got to get a mindset. That says whether or not God makes it right down here doesn't matter. Whether or not God solves the problem now doesn't matter. We've got to get the mindset that Job had when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't care if everything God gives me is bad. I don't care if my whole world collapses and he never turns it around. I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to live for him. He doesn't have to pull me out of every trial. Are you hearing me? I get so tired of hearing people say, I just don't think I can make it. I just, I can't take anymore. Oh, yes, you can. You can. If you can't, then God is a liar. Because he said he would never put more on you than you can bear. He didn't say he wouldn't push it to the very limit. And he does. And you know what happens when he does? He increases our limits. We make it through what we didn't think we could make it through. Oh, say, why am I even on this? I don't know, but, but listen to me. Listen to me. David did not say, though God takes me around the valley of the shadow of death. That's right. Though God transports me over the valley of the shadow of death. That's right. He said, though I walk There are going to be times you're going to walk through some valleys. You are going to go through some problems. Not everything is positive. God never promised everything would be positive. Here's what he promised. That everything would work together for your good. Now he didn't say everything would be good. But that it would work for your good. Let me just interject something. Do you want to know what is for your good, that you go to heaven. That's for your good. 
So there are some things God's going to put on you and some things God's going to let you go through for one reason and one reason only because you won't be saved any other way. It has nothing to do with God making it good in this life. This is where we're getting our theology all messed up today. We think God owes it to us. Whatever problem we have, God's going to turn around and make it good in this life. That's not what the verse says. It just says that he'll work it for our good. And the best thing that can happen to any of us is for us to be standing on streets of gold and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's nothing better than that. And I'm going to tell you, if it drives you to your knees, if it makes you pray, if it makes you realize how desperate you are for God, if it makes you understand you can't make it without Him, then it was for your good. I preached a message some time ago to this church entitled Friend or Foe. And uh, I don't know how many of you remember the message, but um, now my wife remembers it because she's heard me preach it more than once. I I have been impressed to preach it several times in several places. here's Here's the gist of the message. Judas betrayed the Lord. Peter was the spokesman of Pentecost. Right? You, You can't get two more different disciples than Peter and Judas. You agree? And yet, Jesus turned around and looked at Peter one day and said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a pretty strong slap to call a disciple of the Lord the devil. You devil, you! Pretty strong. Well, I got a feeling if I walked through the congregation today calling some of you devils, I would never see you again. (laughs) Jesus called Peter a devil. In fact, not just a devil, the devil. He called him Satan, the father of all devils. Judas betrayed the Lord, and yet we see Judas coming to the garden in the very act of betrayal, and Jesus said, friend, wherefore art thou come? Now, why is the spokesman of Pentecost Satan and the betrayer a friend? I'll tell you why. Jesus' whole purpose was to go to Calvary. And what Peter was doing when he was called Satan, you can go back and read it in Matthew 16. Jesus had just told the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer, and he was going to die. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus said, you're a devil. Judas, on the other hand, helped the Lord get to Calvary. Jesus called him friend. The difference between our friend and our foe all hinges on what drives us to Calvary. Those things that keep us from Calvary 
are our enemies. And those things that drive us to Calvary are our friends. You hear me? Sometimes what you call a blessing is not a blessing at all. You come into a little money. Things are going well. You say, man, I'm blessed. That may not be a blessing. Because you may quit praying. You may quit trusting God. And that thing that you thought was a blessing may really be your enemy. And then you go through some trial. And you say, I hate this. God deliver me from my enemies. That may not be your enemy at all. It's making you pray. That may be your friend. See, his thoughts and his ways are so far above ours. I hope somebody's hearing this prayer. I didn't intend to go into anything I'm on right now, but I'm feeling this. I hope somebody's hearing this preacher right now. Somehow we got to understand God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. So God looks at things differently than we do. You know, this is a simplistic thing, but those of you that are parents, you know, your child's four or five years old and, and, and uh, wants to open something and goes running into the kitchen and finds the sharpest knife he can find. This is going to help me get to my new toy. And me no mommy comes along and swats his hands and says, no, you can't play with that. Why? This is going to help me. But you understand there's a danger there. You're being a friend to that child by denying the child what it wants. Because in its little mind, it can't figure out how dangerous that knife is. Hello? I'm going to tell you, the same comparison holds true with our lives. Sometimes we think we know what we need. But God, this would really help me. I mean, if I had this. God says, "Uh uh-uh. That'll hurt you. I hope you're hearing me this morning. How did I even get there? I don't know. Pride. I don't know. How did I get there? I don't know how I followed that path. Pride, pride, pride. God, help us and deliver us from our pride. God, deliver us. I didn't hear any amens on that one. God, deliver us from our pride. All right, if you didn't say amen, then I'm really preaching to you right now. We need to learn to trust him. We need to learn to put our confidence in him. We need to learn to accept what he knows is best for us. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The writer said, my times are in his hands. And that's the way it needs to be. God, I'm not, I don't want to be a self-made man. I want to be a God-made man. Right. 
was it Frank Sinatra and I think later Elvis Presley saying, I did it my way. Yeah, they did it their way, all right. But I don't want to end up where their way led them. I don't want to do it my way. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it God's way. I'm going to tell you, if, if, if the Lord tarries, and one day my body is laying out in the front of this church, and you folks come to, to see me and, 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 and hopefully grieve, I don't want anybody to look down and say, well, he was a self-made man. I want people to walk by and say, God used him. God used him. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. That I was a tool in the hands of God. I don't care about anything else. Hallelujah. So. If I, if I go there, I'll be, we will never get done. Um, <laughs> I was at my wife's uncle's funeral, and one of her other uncles got up to speak, and he said something about, you know, wanting people to shout at his funeral. And another uncle got up, and he said, I don't want people shouting. I want people crying. I want to know they're going to miss me. <laughs> um, I had a funeral director tell me, Somebody's funeral said, man, what a crowd this is. I think it was at my cousin's funeral. The church was packed. People lined up down the street. And, and the funeral director leaned over to me. He said, man, he said, I, look at this crowd. He said, I, if I died today, he said, I don't even know if I could find six people to carry me out. I said, oh, I could find six that'd be more than happy to carry me out. Now, finding people to come and mourn might be another story. But I can promise you I can find six that want to carry me out. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I don't know. I guess it's all in your perspective, isn't it? You know what? Really what I do want, I don't know I, I, what I do want. What I do want is just the presence of God. I want to know that God had his hand on me and that whatever I did was, was because of God's blessing and because of God's favor. That's all I care about. God help us. God help us. Proverbs 16 and 15 says. 16 and 18. I'm sorry. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah. I think it's in that same chapter somewhere. I didn't write it down. But I think it's in Proverbs chapter 16 that, uh, that the Lord makes the statement, that the writer makes the statement that a proud heart is an abomination unto God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the God elder. resists pride. He resists it. I don't want God resisting me. I don't want God pushing against me. I don't want God trying to avoid me. <laughs> One well-known evangelist a few years back wrote a book called God Chasers. I said, to me, there's a problem. If you're chasing God, there's a problem. That sounds like God's running away from you. 
I don't want God running away from me. But that's what happens to the proud. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I want to humble myself. Now, let me, let me go back and touch on something here real quick. In, in this, and this is important because of where we're going next. But, but in this, uh, in Ezekiel 16, in fact, let's, let's put verse 48 back up there. Ezekiel 16 and 48. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her, her daughters, as thou hast done. All right, now, look, look, God, first of all, God says Sodom is your sister. That's, that's a pretty tough statement. But he doesn't stop with that. He says to the quote-unquote people of God, even Sodom wasn't as bad as you are. Do you understand why Ezekiel was not the pastor of a mega church? You don't draw in thousands by getting up and making those kinds of statements. But Ezekiel wasn't worried about drawing in thousands. He was worried about delivering what thus saith the Lord. And in this instance, this is what God said. God said, Sodom was better than you are. Uh, wow. I want to tell you, I cannot imagine how the Jews must have felt. Now, I know today, you know, there's all this talk of tolerance and, and acceptance and some churches even ordaining them. But, you know, when you're as old as I am, I remember the day when it was a pretty despicable thing. You really just didn't even talk about it much. It was so despicable, so disgusting. It was that way in Israel. Homosexuality was a disgusting thing to them. And yet God, God said to them, that bunch of homosexuals were better than you are. And you're supposed to be the people of God. This is not the only time God ever made that statement. Listen to what Jesus said while he was here on earth. Matthew chapter 11, verse 24. Listen to this. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable. It's going to be more tolerable for the land of Sodom. The day of judgment than for thee. Come judgment day, Israel. God is going to go easier on Sodom. Than he is on you. And God was pretty upset with Sodom. Is that a fair statement? I mean, he rained down fire and brimstone and consumed them. He's, he was pretty upset with them. But Jesus looked at those Jews and said, I'm going to tell you, they're going to be better off in the day of judgment than you are. 
How is that? How could that possibly be? I want to tell you how. You look at the history of Israel. You count how many miracles God did for those people. You count how many prophets God sent to them to preach to them, to warn them, to cry out, to let them know danger's coming. Why, in fact, when God came to this earth in flesh, he came as one of them. He walked among them. He lived among them. He healed their sick. He fed their hungry. He raised their dead. How many miracles did Sodom ever see? How many sermons did Sodom ever hear? I mean, even Nineveh got an evangelist. Sodom didn't. Sodom never heard one sermon. Sodom never saw one miracle. But compare that to Israel. Israel should have done better with what they had. That's why it's going to be worse on Israel in Judgment Day than it will be on Sodom. Now, I preached to a church one time, and this is, I've got the tape somewhere. If you don't believe I did it, I did it. But I preached to a church one time and said, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be better for Sodom than it is for you. I'm talking about a one God apostolic church. I said it. Because I went back. I said, you've been in existence 52 years. You've had 26 pastors in 52 years. 26 pastors. I counted in 52 years just hearing three sermons a week, not counting revivals. I added it up. I multiplied it out. I said, here's how many sermons you've heard, not counting revivals. Three a week for 52 weeks. 156 a year for 50 years. That's a lot of sermons. Not counting revivals. I said, you've heard sermons. You've had miracles. You've had preachers. You've felt the presence of God. You've seen the blessing of God. And look where you are. Sodom never had any of that. Could it be that they would have repented if they would have felt what you feel? Could it be that they would have repented if they would have heard what you've heard? Could it be that if they'd have sat in the services you sat in, they would have made changes in their life? I don't know. We'll never know. Because they never heard. But you have. The only preacher Sodom had was their own conscience. And you got to understand how the conscience works. You know how it works. You know, you do something and feel guilty, and you look around and see several other people doing the same thing, you don't feel guilty anymore. These people living in Sodom, raised around this all their life, they don't feel bad about it anymore. Their conscience is silent. 
Well, we've kind of run the gamut here this morning, haven't we? I'm, I hadn't even left Ezekiel 16. I'm still in the same chapter we started on. Let me say something to you, my friend. To whom much is given. To whom much is given. Much shall be required. The more you've heard, the more you've felt, the more you've seen, the more you know, the more God's going to require of you. Can I tell you that every person under the sound of my voice right now, whether you're sitting in this auditorium or you're listening on the internet, and I don't even know if anybody's listening this morning, but, but everybody under the sound of my voice, I'm going to tell you, you've heard. You, if you've never heard a sermon before today, you've heard more sermons as of right now than Sodom ever heard. And Sodom has more of an excuse than you do. There is no reason for you to not live for God. You hear me? There is no reason for you not to give your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, your everything to God. There is no reason. Do you understand God could have let you be born in deep dark Africa somewhere? God could have let you be born in some native tribe that never heard the name of Jesus. But he let you be born right here. He let you be right here. He let you come to this service today. He let you hear another preacher today. He let you feel his touch today. God loves you enough. He gave you another opportunity. Now the question is, what will you do with it? Help me, Jesus. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the fact that God gave you another opportunity? I'm not, look, I'm not trying to be ugly today. I'm trying to reach for somebody. Do you understand God loved you enough to let you open your eyes and draw another breath today? Do you know how many people are grieving today because of a loved one that was tragically killed somewhere in a car wreck or taken out in the night that they didn't expect it? They woke up this morning to some bad news. You could have been that individual. You didn't have a promise you'd wake up today. But God let you. And he not only let you wake up, he let you come to his house. He let you hear another sermon. He let you feel it. I felt his touch in this house today. He let you feel his presence. That's more than Sodom ever got. And God destroyed them. God doesn't owe you one more thing. God doesn't owe you one more day. God does not owe you one more sermon. God does not owe you one more touch. You've already had more than Sodom got before they were destroyed. Now what are you going to do with it? How 
are you going to respond to the tugging that God is doing at your heart right now? Let's pray, church. I feel the hand of God right now. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I could go on, but I don't think I need to. Uh, musicians come. I, I know, I know. We've only made it through one chapter today. This is a record, but I don't apologize. God's, call, God's talking to somebody here today. God is giving you an opportunity right now because he loves you. God doesn't want to destroy you. God doesn't want to judge you. God wants to save you. That's why he gave you the chance to be here. But God is always a gentleman. He always is. He always is. You understand that if he'd have wanted to, he could have made room in the inn. He could have made room in the inn. He could have cleared people out. He could have done anything imaginable. But God only takes what is offered. He never takes what is refused. God's not going to grab you by the nap of the neck and throw you into an altar and say, pray. He doesn't want forced subservience. He wants willful service God will draw you God will call you God will convict you God will woo you God will speak to you God will do everything he can to get you to make the decision but in the end it's your decision but let me tell you when judgment day comes. When judgment day comes. You better hope. You're not standing next to somebody from Sodom. When they look at you with piercing eyes. And say if I could have heard that sermon. I'd have changed. But I didn't get the opportunity. If I could have felt what you felt, I'd have repented, but God never gave me that chance. You had it, and you did nothing about it. What will you do with your life? What will you do about the call of God today? What will you do about the conviction that's in this house right now. As they begin to play, I'm asking you, what are you going to do? These altars are open. God's given you a chance. Let's everybody stand. God's given you a chance. God's given you an opportunity. But it's up to you.
You got to decide. Come on, as folks are coming, why don't you join them? As folks are coming, can you find a place to pray this morning? <laughs>